Shalom, Gracians, those of you who are on site as well as those of you who are online. This is our third uh, pre-Christmas sermon. And as Gideon was sharing, Christmas is really literally around the corner. How many of you are looking forward to Christmas? Okay, I must tell you, Christmas is really one of the most stressful times of the year, actually. <laughs> Especially when it comes to gifts, right? Because it's, it's burdensome mentally to think about which gift, which is the right gift. Correct? It's also emotionally draining because we don't know whether the person who receives that gift, the he or she will like, like that gift. It's also burdensome practically. Is it better to get from Lazada? Carousel? Where? You know where to get this? Last year, I, I, bought a, I promised a, a child a gift for Christmas and everything was well planned. I was going to receive the gift uh, through the delivery uh, you know, uh, platform just before Christmas so that when I come for the Christmas service, I can hand the gift to that child. Guess what? When I finally got that gift, it was way into the new year already. How embarrassing. Okay, but what is really burdensome is burdensome financially because we ask how much damage, right? How much damage? So who is not looking forward to Christmas? Some people aren't. Um, two weeks ago, Pastor John shared with us, right? He recounted the awe that Zechariah and Elizabeth experienced. Because when they found, they learned that they were part of this great scheme of God to herald uh, the coming of the Messiah. What great joy. And, but last week, Pastor Steve reminded us that in the joy of celebrating the new birth, the newborn child, uh, that was tempered with what? With the agony of pain surrounding this whole occasion. So, Part of, I think part of why Christmas sometimes can be a downer is that we have missed the reason, the real reason for the season. And so today, nestled between the, the awe and the agony of Christ's birth is this, that we need to rediscover the place of adoration. Between the awe and the agony is the place of adoration. And that's my sermon title, is The Adoration from Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. All right? I've got a subtitle. It's called Missing Jesus. It's a very subtle title, eh? Missing Jesus. But the big idea is gifts can be and should be revered and honored. But it requires us to first recognize the value of that gift before we can give our due uh, reverence and honor to, to it. In our case, the gift is Jesus. And the appropriate response to that gift is adoration. So to get a sense of the flow of this narrative, let us read in, in, in its entirety Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. Because here documents um, the wise men or the magi search for the toddler Jesus. So let's read together from verse 1. All right? Now, now, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Verse 5, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, 
And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Verse 8, And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. In verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So in this passage today, we see three kinds of responses, three different responses to the birth of Jesus. First, from those who did not miss, who, who did not miss Jesus. They, neglected, they rejected him. Two, from those who completely missed Jesus. They neglected him. But there was a third group, those who did not want to miss Jesus because they expected him. So today, which of these three groups are you in? So let's, let's find out. Let's find out how, what can, we can learn from these three different groups. Let's start with the first group, those who did not miss Jesus. Right? Verse 3, verse 7, and verse 8. Following me in the, in, online, type in the chat, did not miss. Okay? Did not miss. Verse 3 says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So who was King Herod? Last week you probably have learned uh, a, a lot more about who he was. Historically, he was known as Herod the Great. I'm sure he was great for many, many things, but the greatest thing was that he was very paranoid. That must have been his greatest thing. He so feared conspiracies that he was willing to kill off his favorite wife. Okay, favorite wife, let me see, must have a few. His favorite wife and two sons because he, he was sure they were threatening, they were plotting against him and his rule. In fact, Augustus, the Roman emperor, said once, it is safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. You know? So why was the good news of this toddler such bad news to King Herod personally. Because the Bible said in verse 3, he was troubled. That means he was restless. He was fearful. He was disquieted. Why? Well, because his lying and his succession to the throne was threatened. First off, King Herod's family were not Jews. They converted to Judaism. Secondly, he had no royal blood in him, in his family. So now, hearing that there was one born a Jew and a king. Wow, that really troubled Herod. His really fragile hold on the power and authority over the people, over Judea, was getting looser by the minute. You know. There was one new title that he don't, did not relish. There was Herod the Loser. You know. So not only him, but the Bible tells us in verse 3, the response of Jerusalem. How was Jerusalem? The Bible said that Jerusalem was as troubled as Herod was. Because they were living under the Roman rule for more than 60 years. 
and they knew how to play the game well, the game of mutual benefit, you know, where they can get, uh, they can be advantaged by how, how they respond to this Roman rule. And they were not keen to learn a new script from a new king. No one likes change, even though it's for a better. Uh, it, it's for the better. And Jerusalem was typical in this regard. They were reluctant to lose that well-balanced security and safety net um, under the Roman government. Their status quo was being rocked and they were just as troubled as King Herod. And so unfortunately, they were happy to give Jesus a pass. So preferring the safety of the, uh, of the status quo, what gift did King Herod and all Jerusalem have for Jesus? See, for those who treated the appearance of Jesus as, um, as an intrusion, an invasion to their neat little lives, their gift to him was annihilation. To wipe him from the face of the earth, to totally crush him so that he would not grow up to be the formidable threat to their existence and their power. The Bible tells us that to achieve this, Herod actually resorted to secrecy and, and trickery to eliminate and to exterminate his competition. He quickly hatched a plan under the pretense of wanting to worship the Christ child by sending the wise men right, to find out the time and the place of the birth of this child. So what do we learn from here? See, often the fear of the unknown stops us from embracing the new. Whether it's a position at work, whether it's a business venture, whether it's a promising relationship, an area of ministry, or all mindset. It's a pity when the thing that we fear is actually the thing that we need to dislodge us from our circumstances and propel us forward to where God wants us to be and to go. For King Herod and the people, they were willing to give Jesus a miss, rejecting the greatest gift that God had given to draw them to himself. They were too insecure, too fearful, and they were playing it too safe to want Jesus. So church, don't discount what the Lord may be showing you for this coming year, 2023. Don't let the fear of something new stop you or hinder you uh, from embracing what God wants you to embrace. Don't just stay uh, to the status quo. Don't just go for the tried and the tested, but be open to what God wants for you this coming year. Pray and ask God, in fact, pray and ask God to do something new for you this Christmas season. Amen. Will you do that? Okay, on to the second group. That was the first group who just missed Jesus, right? So second group, those who completely missed Jesus, verses four to six. Type in the chat, completely miss. Oh, thank you. Verse four. Verse four, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he, meaning Herod, inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. For Herod, he rejected. But for, what happened to these people? Who were these people that missed Jesus completely? Verse 4 tells us, it's all the, the chief priests and scribes. Now of all the people who should have been on the lookout for the promised Messiah or Christ or Greek in Greek is Christ, these chief priests and the scribes ought to be among the first, right? Because why? They were the custodians. They were the teachers of the Holy Scriptures. They were well-versed with the law and the prophets. So they should know better. But perhaps they were too deeply enmeshed, you know, 
in that culture and civilization. And every day was just business as usual, not expecting anything out of the norm. Or perhaps they had grown weary of waiting, of looking, of seeking, of trusting, of hoping that things would ever turn around for them. Or perhaps they had gotten complacent, contented, comfortable, satisfied, and sufficient. For when King Herod asked them actually where the Christ was born, he asked the chief priests and the scribes. And they were able to point out, they were able to quote from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And in verse 5, it says, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. So indeed they know. This prophecy was given by the prophet Micah some 700 years before the birth of the Messiah. And he prophesied that the Messiah would be born in where? In Bethlehem. So indeed it was not out of their ignorance that they missed the Messiah's birth. It was out of their indifference. They were comfortable living under Roman rule. They have their day-to-day needs met. They were capable of working the system to their benefit. And they had some power and control and religious control, religious sway over the majority, and they were not willing to lose that. So in fact, they were saying, don't bother us with this inconvenient news. Uh, we, we really don't, don't care. I don't know about you. For me, um, at home, I, sell, I, can, I can seldom find things you know, Household things. So sometimes I will ask uh, Linda, you know, maybe something in the fridge, something uh, in the drawer, something on the dining table, something in the living room. You know, I ask her, hey, wait, wait, is this thing? And then she would describe to me. Then it's here, it's here, here. You go to the left, to the right, you know, how high, how low. And then I'll spend two minutes looking for it and say, I, I think you've misplaced it because it's definitely not here. And then she'll come to where, where I am and then she'll say, in two seconds, she'll, she'll bring that thing that I was looking for for two minutes that I couldn't find. I think this is a syndrome that plagues all husbands. It's called the mysterious hidden in plain sight. You know. It's there, but I can never find it. But you see, at least I tried looking, right? What about these chief priests and scribes? Now, now they went back to scripture and they found out that, what? that the prophet Micah actually prophesied that Jesus would be born where? In Bethlehem. Did they pack and run? No, you know. They just let it be. Just like the, the Magi went on their own sweet way and they didn't follow. How far was Bethlehem from Jerusalem? As far as our two campuses are. Nine kilometers. And they couldn't make that trip to Bethlehem. If they did, they would have won King Herod's favor. Why? Because they would, they would know precisely where Jesus was and they would send back the Google map coordinates. You know. And they'd be rewarded greatly. But they didn't. So what gift did all the priests and scribes of the people have for Jesus? For those who should have known better, but were not looking out, nor were they longing for the Messiah, their gift to him was apathy. No excitement, no celebration, no desire, no interest, not even a half-hearted attempt. They carried on with business as usual, unperturbed by the news. It is ironic that at least Herod was troubled. But for the chief priests, and the scribes, the birth of Christ was met with what? Inaction. No sound, no picture. So what can we learn, church, today from this response from the chief priests and scribes? See, by and large, the world ignores the backstory of Christmas, which is the birth of Jesus, the Christ child, the saviour of the world, God's gift to humankind. But we are thankful that annually we are at least reminded to celebrate the spirit of giving, but at the same time, disheartened to know that the giver and the gift are both largely ignored. 
See, ignorance or wrong understanding about who Jesus is and why he had to come to live and to die for us can hinder one from accepting his gracious invitation. But worse than ignorance is apathy. Knowing and yet choose to ignore is far worse. You see, for the, the chief priests and the scribes, their neglect was deliberate. They knew, but they didn't want to go further. Why? Because they were too complacent, too comfortable, too contented to miss Jesus. What about us? If you already know the Lord Jesus, I don't know how many years, we need to live as though he matters to us. Has he been speaking about one area of your life that you need to surrender to him? You know, don't, don't ignore it. Treat him as the Lord of your lives. Give him your full attention, the attention that God alone deserves and requires. This Christmas, why don't you and I make a conscious effort to call him Lord one more time in our life? See, knowing is one thing, doing something about it is another. Don't be like the chief priest. Don't be like King Herod. Let's go to the third group, the group that I like. Those who did not want to miss Jesus, verses 1 and 2. For those of you typing, type never miss one. I don't type one, never miss. Okay. Verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Who were these seekers? Well, they were wise men or magi from the east. They were astrologers, astronomers. Uh, magi is where we get the word magicians. Right? People who were schooled, uh, they were wise, not just because they were educated in human wisdom, but also they were open to revelation by alternative means, which is such as dreams, visions, and they, they were open to being guided by celestial objects and cosmological events. So these were magi who were trained in disciplines of what? Of both heavenly science and natural science. But contrary to the hymn that we, the carol that we sing, there were definitely more than three. Some say maybe 12 magi. And they were not kings. You know that, that, that carol, we three kings, right? That doesn't apply because they were not kings. They were, in fact, non-Jews. They were Gentiles. And because they were from the east, likely Babylonians. But no doubt they were wealthy and of certain means because that, that distance from uh, the east, wherever the east was, we don't know where, to Jerusalem would have taken how, uh, about six months and traveling 600 to 1,000 kilometers. So they must have been wealthy enough to sustain that kind of trip uh, and have enough food for that. But also the Bible tells us they must have a certain stature and confidence and reputation. For they had no qualms coming before Herod when they were summoned by him. You know, They just talked to him. They were not trembling. The Bible didn't say they were trembling. They just stood. Um, traditionally, some people think that the Magi were actually kingmakers. Whenever they appear, it's a good sign for the coming king, but not for Herod. So the Bible says, why were they in Jerusalem? So they explain, for we saw his star when it rose. So in that time, in that thinking, stars actually represent deities. Michael Heiser says this, astro-religion and solar myth mythology were common in the ancient world. The notion that stars were animate divine beings was part of Israelite thinking. The stars had names, were created by God, and were thought of as a divine army. And even today, that's how we use stars, right? They're rock stars. They're movie stars. 
Then we give them, uh, we give them like uh, we ascribe to them, you know, almost uh, a godhead. So that's how we use stars. But you notice it was just not just an appearance of any star. They did not say we saw this star or we saw that star. They said for we saw his star. You know. They were so so sure that this star represented the king, the newly born king of the Jews. See, the Bible also makes this connection between a particular star and his kingship. When you look at Numbers 24, 17, the prophet said, I see him, but not now. He's looking into the future. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And so Jesus is this promised Messiah and the prophesied king, which the reason star pointed to. He was born king of the Jews, not conferred the title like Herod. He was the true heir of David from the tribe of Judah and the offspring of Jacob. Now here's what's, what's interesting. What was Magi's, the Magi's purpose in locating this king? Verse 2 tells us very straightforward, very simple. We have come to worship him. Not to kidnap not to kill, not to extort, not to bribe, not to secure blessings, not to form an alliance with him. All this way through this hard journeying with their entourage and treasures with only one agenda, to simply worship him. So what about you today? Why have you come to church this morning? To simply worship Christ or to give him your Christmas wish list? They had only one agenda, traveling all the way just to worship Jesus. And so you see this happening. The Magi now with fresh intel from Herod, without further prompting, they left for Bethlehem. I mean, after all, having traveled a thousand kilometers, what's another 9 km, right? So verse 9 onwards. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Look at verse 10. Yeah? Look at verse 10 of how Matthew wanted to tell us how joyful they were, how excited they were. You see, when they saw the star, they rejoiced. Not enough. They rejoiced with joy. Still not enough. They rejoiced with great joy. Still not enough. They exceedingly rejoiced with great joy. So four times, you know, he's trying to tell us that they were really happy. They were really happy. Compare that with, uh, with the priests. Oh, they were, you know, they, didn't, they were indifferent. You see, one looked hard for the Messiah, the other hardly looked, you know. They never looked. But also a contrast to Jerusalem. And King Herod, because King Herod was troubled by this news. But note, but note how joyful they were. And they were not even seeing Jesus yet. So for those who, who did not want to miss Jesus, just knowing that he was close by resulted in their exceeding and uncontainable joy, which was further expressed in spontaneous adoration at his, at his presence. The Bible said they fell down and worshipped him when they saw him. It was a worship of prostrating themselves before him with a face to the ground and accompanied by the offering of a 
their treasures. So I want to just ask, what was the significance of these gifts that the Magi offered to Jesus? The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. When you think about this, how do we decide? How do you decide on what kind of gifts or who? How do you do that? Think about it. You know, when you want to give a gift to someone, how do you decide what kind of gift? So I call this the politics of giving. Because when we give gifts, we communicate something, right? We communicate the value and the estimate we place on a person. Or sometimes we give gifts to score points with significant people. Or sometimes we give gifts to put people in debt to us. You know? The politics of giving. So if this year I were to give my wife uh, a Dyson vacuum cleaner and she were to give me a, a, a gym membership for a year, what are we communicating? I'm communicating more work for her and more workout for me. But on the other hand, if I gifted her with a guitar this Christmas, you know that that's a gift that, is, that has strings attached, right? Uh, I would probably value the guitar more than she would value it. Correct. She's just the excuse for me buying it. But ideally, I should give her a gift that she values from her point of view, POV, rather than mine. Like what? Like an iRobot. <laughs> okay, that's, that's my POV. So POVs matter, all right? Point of view matters. So I want to look and explore two kinds of points, point of views uh, regarding these gifts. First, the point of view of Mary. Why not Jesus, right? He was the one receiving. Why not Jesus? Because Jesus would not have, would not have appreciated as much the gifts as the parents. Remember? If you've got a two-year-old, you know, when Chinese New Year comes, what do the parents do? The parents will hold in trust all the ang pals, right? Because it matters more to the parents than to the kid. So at, at two years old, Jesus would probably have what? Look at, look at the gold and then put it in his mouth and swallow it. Or he would have sneezed at the scent of the frankincense. Or he would have made play dough, you know? with the myrrh. Whatever he did, he would not have appreciated it as much as Mary. But when Mary saw the different gifts that the Magi brought out, you know, wow, it caused her once again to wonder at who this child that she had born nine months, who is this really? Because from the goal, that rep represented royalty. Yeah? To the Magi, he was the king of the Jews. That was the first gift. And then frankincense, what is frankincense? An incense made by Frank. <laughs> so gold represents royalty. Frankincense represents deity. Before the Magi, this baby who has not done anything yet, right, was God incarnate. Imagine Mary looking at this. The third thing, they brought out the oil, the myrrh. That rep represented what? His humanity. You know that he was going to die. So in the eyes of the Magi, he was the servant of the Most High God. So when Mary saw this, then she realized that Christ is fully human, yet fully divine. Born and nurtured in humble conditions, yet destined for kingship and royalty. So that was, what, that was the messaging that the gifts had for Mary. What about the POV? of the Magi. How did they view these gifts? Now, from the point of the Magi, they gave gold. Gold represented what? Represented their treasures, what they held dear and with high regard. Frankincense. They were offering what? Their believing loyalty. Crushed 
and fragrant. Once they give this offering, it will go out in smoke, literally in smoke. They cannot, it cannot be reversed and cannot be withdrawn. All right? It was a true commitment. And then they gave myrrh. That was a picture of them offering their whole lives in worship to Jesus as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to him. What do we learn about those people who did not want to miss Jesus and the gifts they gave? For those who longed for his appearing, nothing was too lavish, nothing was too extravagant. It was like uh, the parable of the merchant who found that fine pearl, recognizing the value and its true value and, and worth, was willing to sell everything he had to buy it. To him, the pearl was priceless, and even if he paid with all that he had, it was still a bargain, you know. It was still a steal. So today, do you treasure Jesus as the merchant treasured his pearl? Is Jesus priceless and precious to you? Is Jesus worthy of your worship? Worship means worship, you know. Is Jesus worthy of your worship? For those who value Christ above all, there is no cost too great, no distance too far, no effort too much to worship Jesus. For years, I ignored, I avoided the topic, I rejected and I neglected Jesus. In my school days, concerned classmates tried to introduce me to Christ. Well, I didn't want anything, anything to do with them, nor with Christ. I had my whole life in front of me and Christ was not in that plan. But 41 years ago, by God's grace, I found him, or rather, he found me. And from that point on, the center of my life completely changed, forever changed. He was that pearl of great price and worthy of living and giving my whole life for. Now today, I have lived twice as long as a believer, as a worshipper, than not. But my sole regret is, why didn't I give my life to the Lord earlier? Why? Why, why waste, you know, five years, ten years? So what's our application and response today? Surely, don't be like King Herod, right? Don't reject him. And don't be like the chief priests and the scribes who, who knew better, but yet they neglected him. But be like the Magi. Revere, honor him by giving your whole life, committing your whole life as a living sacrifice to Jesus one more time this Christmas. You know, there's a British carol in the bleak midwinter, words by this poet, uh, Christina Rossetti, and set to music by this famed British composer, Gustav Holst. And the closing words to this British carol is this. She asks, what can I give him? Poor as I am. If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him. Give my heart. Give my heart. Uh, dear family, dear friends, don't miss Jesus 
this Christmas. Don't avoid Him. Don't ignore Him. But come, let us adore Him. Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 So as I close this sermon today, I want to give an opportunity for, for us to think. For those of you and me, we are believers of the Lord. We are Christians, right? And we may know Christ as our Savior, yes. Even our healer, our deliverer, the one who saves us, the one who delivers us from all our troubles. He could even be our strength and the shepherd of our souls, all that He is. But today the question is, is He King? Is He King of your life? Is He the Lord of everything you do and who you are? How's your adoration of this Jesus? That the Gentiles would come a thousand kilometers searching, seeking, and were filled with great joy, exceedingly joyful. They rejoice with an exceedingly great joy. How's your joy of the Lord this, this morning? When you come before Him, do you, do you have this expectation? Do you come with a joy? Oh, because you missed, you missed Jesus and you will never want to miss Him ever. So this Christmas, give God your undivided attention. Give Him your full, wholehearted, unadulterated adoration and your unconditional obedience. And as you worship Christ, as you worship this King, remember those around you who are also seeking, who are searching. Reach out to them, invite them to come to our Christmas services. Invite them to come to experience Christ for themselves. Because your service to them is also your worship to God. So Christians, I'm asking you to call Him King. I'm asking you to call Him Lord. One more time. One more time. But I also would like to give an opportunity to those you, you are here, but you don't consider yourself a Christian. You don't consider yourself a believer. I hope that you would not miss the reason for our celebration. Why we celebrate Christ? Why is Christ so important to us? We don't want you to miss this gift of God to the world, the Savior of every nation. Don't let this good news of Jesus trouble you anymore so that you're willing to get, let it pass one more time. But this Christmas, this season, this sermon, this service, respond to Him. Don't hesitate. Don't ignore Him. Don't neglect Him. There might have been times that you wanted to take that step of faith to say, I want, I want to receive you. I want to receive this good news. So today, don't, don't hesitate anymore. It is good news for you. It is good news to you. If you're seeking, look no further. Today is your day. Shall we all stand? Shall we all stand? Let's look to God in prayer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you for so great a gift. Thank you for so great a gift. Help us to value, help us to ascribe the greatest honor and the greatest reverence 
Our Heavenly Father, we are once again amazed today in this story of how your son was rejected by those who should have been expecting you. But we are blessed by the joyful reception of those who are simply looking for your gift with a genuine heart and a desperate cry for hope and peace with you and with one another. May we all who know you renew our worship of you this Christmas season as living sacrifices in full-hearted service and in full-bodied adoration. May we revere you, honour you as the precious and priceless treasure that you are. We also ask for those who are ardently seeking, may you reveal yourself as a God who cares, who loves, who saves, a Father who wants to adopt them into the family that we are in. And that your invitation is right now open for them to offer their lives to you as their Lord and as their Saviour. In Jesus' name, we ask and we pray. Amen. Amen. Before Gideon leads us in the song, I would like to open the altars this morning again for those of you who just want to come and say, God, I didn't come to ask for things from you. I come. I just came this today to simply worship you. That's what I want to do. And I want to come up and say, Lord, I adore you. I don't adore you. I want, I want you. I want to worship you with all my heart. So come forward. And those of you who think that this year might be something, that God wants to give you something new. And then you come forward and say, God, I want to embrace all that you have for me. I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to be fearful. I'm not going to play too safe. But I'm going to come and receive what you have for me. But most of all, I want to give an opportunity to those of you who have never made this decision for Jesus. As you hear this message, you know you know that Jesus is the one that you've been searching for, the hope, the joy, the peace that you've been longing. And I just want you to take that opportunity today without, before you leave this place to come to the right of the altar of, of my side and come and say, God, I want to receive you. I want to give my life to you because I think and I know today that you are the worthy. You're worthy. You're most worthy of my reverence and of my honour. And so if you're gracious and you're seated with somebody next to you, just ask them this question. Have they made this decision for Jesus before? And if they want to invite Jesus into their lives, ask, okay, ask them now. Don't look at me. Just ask somebody next to you. Do they know Jesus? Do they want to receive Jesus this Christmas? Anyone up there? So as Gideon, uh, as uh, Andrew leads us in song, you know, walk with them. If they've never made the decision for Jesus, today is their day. Today is the time. Hesitate no more. Join them. Walk them out the aisle and then walk them down to the altar on my right. In Jesus' name, Amen.